Hello, it's Thursday, the 22nd of February, and welcome to Career 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Wo. President Yoon Sung Yeol has reaffirmed his commitment to supporting the nation's nuclear power industry, pledging 3.3 trillion won worth of related projects. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. As the standoff between the government and the medical community continues over the plan to increase the med school emissions quota, we debate the issue for today's weekly take. And then coming up for Explore Korea, we discuss the latest local production of the musical The Last Five Years, which features a unique and innovative staging. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. President Yoon Sang-yeol has vowed to provide funding for nuclear power-related projects at a public debate session held in Changwon today. This is in line with his election pledge to reverse the previous administration's drive to phase out nuclear power. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Chan. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Zhang So President Yoon got into greater details about his plan to provide support for the sector, and it was a considerable amount. Can you share with us what he presented? Yes, it was at the 14th round of the New Year's presidential public debate in Changwon on Thursday. Yoon promised nuclear power-related projects worth 3.3 trillion won, or around 2.5 billion U.S. dollars, and special state financing of 1 trillion won. Reasserting his presidential election pledge to support nuclear power, a 180 from the Moon Jae-in administration's uh, move to move away from nuclear power plants. He also vowed to extend eligibility of tax benefits to include facilities investment, a state injection of over $4 trillion won into nuclear power R&D over five years. There are also plans to enact a special law to support industry, including small nuclear power modules. Let's move on now to the ongoing deadlock between the government and doctors. Hospitals are struggling to remain uh, to maintain operations as collective action by trainee doctors over the government's planned expansion of the medical school admissions quota entered its third day on Thursday. So what's the latest? That's right. A significant portion of the 740 trainee doctors at one of the capital's big five, Seoul National University Hospital, walked off their jobs after submitting resignations. According to the health ministry's website on emergency medical services, out of 26 emergency room beds at the hospital, just seven beds are available. The availability of emergency beds falls below 50% of the total. That's a cause for concern, so the situation is quite dire. The ER situation is better at other four major hospitals, Asan Medical Center, Samsung Medical Center, St. Mary's Hospital and Severin's Hospital, but the trainee doctor's collective action is still taking its toll. The hospitals postponed 30 to 50 percent of scheduled surgical procedures. As of 10 p.m. Tuesday, about 8,800 out of the country's 13,000 trainee doctors submitted resignations and 7,813 had walked off the jobs. The government received 92 reports of damages caused by the collective action, mostly cancellations of surgical procedures and appointments for doctors. The Seoul Medical Association plans to hold a rally at 7 p.m. Thursday in front of the presidential office in protest of the government's medical admissions quota hike plan. Yes, we'll dive deep into this issue today for Weekly Take, looking at how the two sides got to the situation and what the points of contention are. That's coming up later in the show. Let's move on now to some weather news, because various regions... <clears throat> Let's move on now to some weather news because various regions across the country have seen significant snowfall. The Yangdong district of Gangwon province saw its third straight day of heavy snowfall on Thursday and more is expected in the region. Can you give us the latest update? 
Yes, a heavy snow warning issue for Gangneung, Gosong, Sokcho, Yangyang, and the mountainous regions of Gangwon. Gangneung's Songsan topped the list with 66.2 centimeters of snow piled up, followed by Daegalyeong with 47.1 centimeters. The Gangwon Regional Meteorological Administration forecasts 10 to 30 centimeters of snow will fall in the mountain regions of Gangwon and 5 to 15 centimeters on the east coast by Friday. Meanwhile, heavy snow overnight caused public inconvenience in Seoul as well during the morning rush hour on Thursday with multiple reports of subway operation delays. Right, usually you hear about situations on the roads being impacted by snowfalls this time, even the subway. According to Seoul Metro, Subway Line 5, which starts operations at 5.30 a.m., saw delays of around 25 minutes due to frozen snow along a tram rail at the Kodak base. At around 8.35 a.m., trains on Line 2 were delayed by up to 25 minutes due to frozen snow and signal failures. And around the same time, passengers on a Line 3 train had to get off at Dongnimun Station due to a floor defect. The subway operator began to fix issues presumed to have stemmed from abnormalities in power supply following accumulation of snow. Let's move on now to some major sports news. It's official. The star pitcher Ryu Jin has returned to South Korean baseball after 12 years with a contract with his former team, the Hanwha Eagles. So what's the response so far on what to expect according to uh, baseball teams and experts? So first of all, the Eagles confirmed Thursday an eight-year contract worth 17 billion won or around 12.8 million US dollars, making him the highest paid player in the KBO, the Korea Baseball Organization. Kia Tigers manager Ibo said Ryu could really shake things up for the entire league. Lotte Giants manager Kim Taehyung predicts Ryu will add at least eight wins for the Eagles. Chang sung a sports commentator for KBSN, forecasts that the Eagles will grab at least 12 wins thanks to Ryu. The average speed of Ryu's fastball, not what it used to be. It used to be 154 kilometers, now slipped to 142 and a half. Uh, experts did say, though, Ryu is likely to take hitters to school still with breaking balls, including change-ups. Uh, but some observers also fear Ryu could struggle. He he had four surgeries and faces tough opponents, including Che Jung of the SSG Landers, who batted 362 with four homers against the returning lefty. Let's head over next to Montenegro, where uh, a court in the Balkan country has reportedly ruled that Kwon Doyoung, the disgraced co-founder of the cryptocurrency firm Terraform Labs, should be extradited to the United States on fraud charges. Can you tell us more? Right. According to a Montenegrin local daily, the High Court in Pogorica on Wednesday permitted the extradition of Kwan to the U.S., rejecting South Korea's request. The court did not disclose the reason for the decision to extradite Kwan to the U.S. instead of his home country. The ruling comes 11 months after Kwan was arrested at Capitals Airport for attempting to fly out using fake passports. And 22 months after he fled South Korea amid a probe in connection with the crash of Terraform Labs and Luna Coins, which is estimated to have caused investor losses of more than 50 trillion won or 37 billion US dollars worldwide. In other news, the South Korean government on Thursday summoned a top Japanese diplomat in Seoul to protest the annual Takeshima Day event in Japan that celebrated a claim to Korea's Tokyo Islets. A very misguided claim indeed. Foreign Ministry summoned Taisuke Mibae, the Deputy Chief of Mission at the Japanese Embassy in Seoul, to protest the annual event hosted by the Shimane Prefecture, calling on Japan to abolish it. According to Kyodo News, Shimane Prefecture held a Takeshima Day event Thursday afternoon in Matsue, the prefectural capital, where the Japanese government even invited Shujiro Hiranuma, the parliamentary vice minister of the cabinet office. South Korea's foreign ministry stressed Tokyo is historically, geographically, and under international law, South Korean territory.
And finally, the Washington-based Radio Free Asia reported that the Russian foreign ministry appears to have been the target of North Korean cyber espionage, as ma- as malware was detected in a software installer used by the ministry. What more do we know? German cybersecurity firm DCSO, which discovered the malware, described it was similar to that used against the Russian foreign ministry in 2021 by a North Korean group of hackers called Kony. The RFA reported this type of malware allows hackers to gain access to internal documents while bypassing authentication networks. The malware induced a transfer of statistical data from Russian consulates overseas to affiliated agencies under the Russian ministry. Kony is suspected of multiple attempts to steal information from the Russian ministry between late 2021 and early 2022, while also conducting hacking attacks against South Korea for many years. That's where we wrap up our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the Korea 24 stock and forex update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 10.96 points, or 0.41% on Thursday, to close at 2,664.27. The tech-heavy COSDAQ climbed 6.04 points, or 0.7%, to close at 870.11. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 6-1 against the US dollar, closing the day at 1,328.71. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next, we've come to Global News Roundup, where we look beyond Korea to talk about headlines from around the world. And joining us for that in the studio, it is our KBS World Radio News Editor, Gu Hee-jin. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jan. The European Union has approved its latest sanctions package against Russia over its war in Ukraine, banning nearly 200 additional entities and individuals accused of involvement in the two-year conflict. This also included its first sanctions targeting North Korea regarding the war. What can you tell us? Well, according to the AFP, Al Jazeera and Reuters, the EU late, EU's latest sanctions targets some 200 individuals and organisations involved in the circumvention and the defence and military sectors, bringing the number on its blacklist so far to around 2,000. And this package also includes the EU's first on North Korea in relation to the Russian-Ukraine conflict. The latest measures go after the Russian weapons industry as access to uh, components to manufactured drones. The uh, focus is on entities and individuals that are part of Russia's military uh, industrial complex and those involved in trafficking and kidnapping Ukrainian children. And while the official copy of the sanctions are not yet available, several media outlets have started to report on the details. Reuters reports that the sanctions include one against a North Korean and one Belarusian firm. AFP also reported that it had obtained a draft that uh, uh, listed the blacklisting of North Korea's defence minister for supplying missiles to Moscow. 
Yes, our listeners may remember that we have previously reported that the Ukrainian military, as well as the UK-based investigative organisation, the Conflict Armament Research, confirmed they found a handwritten Korean character on a ballistic missile fired by Russia into Ukraine. Indeed, uh, the EU and the United States have repeatedly said that they have found signs that point to arms trade between Russia and North Korea, which both countries have denied. Uh, Belgium, which holds the rotating EU presidency, said on X on Wednesday that the package was one of the broadest approved by the EU. The sanctions will be formally approved by the 27-nation bloc on the 24th of February, marking the second anniversary of Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin's official order for the invasion of Ukraine. The US also uh, prepares to, uh, is preparing to announce its own set of sanctions against Russia on the 23rd. Next, we head to space, where private lunar lander Odysseus is now circling the moon before it attempts to set down on the surface Thursday. Can you tell us more? Well, according to NASA, AP and Space.com, Intuitive Machines confirmed its vessel Odysseus has entered into the moon's orbit, conducting experiments from NASA and other clients. The lander is part of a NASA program to kickstart the lunar economy. The space agency is paying $118 million to get its uh, experiments on the moon uh, on this mission. Uh, The smooth touchdown would put the US back in business on the moon for the first time since NASA astronauts closed out the Apollo program in 1972. A success would be historic. The company would be the first private outfit to land on the moon. On Thursday, controllers will lower the uh, orbit from just under 92 kilometres to 10 kilometres, a crucial manoeuvre occurring again on the uh, moon's far side before aiming for a touchdown near the moon's south pole. It's considered a risky move but deemed worthy as the permanently shadowed craters are believed to hold frozen water. Yes, this would be the first to land on the moon, but Odysseus isn't the first private spacecraft to reach lunar orbit, though, right? Indeed. No, the um, uh, Bereshit and Hakuto-R landers, built by a private Israeli team and the Tokyo-based company iSpace, respectively, both successfully circled the moon. Both, however, crashed during their touchdown attempts, Bereshit in April 2019 and Hakuto-R in April 2023. The moon is littered with wreckage from failed landings and some missions never even got that far. Another US company, Astro Robotic Technology, tried to send a lander to the moon last month but it didn't get there because of fuel leak. A crippled lander uh, came crashing back through the atmosphere, burning up over the Pacific. And we should add... And we should add that South Korea also aspires to put its first lunar lander on the moon by 2032 as well, after the success of its lunar orbiter Hanuri in 2022. But hopefully, yes, it will fare better than some of those other attempts we've mentioned Mm -hmm. today. Finally, we have good news for panda lovers in the US. China plans to send a new pair of giant pandas to the San Diego Zoo, renewing its long-standing gesture of friendship towards the United States after nearly all the iconic animals on loan to US zoos were returned as relations began to sour between the two nations. What can you tell us? Well, San Diego Zoo officials told AP that if all permits and other requirements are approved. Two bears, a male and a female, are expected to arrive as early as the end of summer, about five years after the zoo sent its last pandas back to China. 
According to the AP report, China is considering a pair that includes a female descendant of Bai Yun and Gao Gao, two of the zoo's former res- residents. Bai Yun, uh, who was born in a captive- captivity in China, lived at the zoo for more than 20 years and gave birth to six cubs there. She and her son were the zoo's last pandas and returned to China in 2019. Gao Gao was born in the wild in China and lived at the San Diego Zoo from 2003 to t- 2018 before being sent back. In November, uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping raised hopes for uh, his countries would uh, start sending pandas back to the US again after he and President Joe Biden convened in Northern California for their first face-to-face meeting in a year and pledged to try to reduce tensions. That's all for our Global News Roundup today. Heejin, thank you for bringing us those stories. Thank you. We are Boys Choir Bonipueri and you are now listening to Korea 24. administration and the medical community are locked in a standoff that is escalating quickly. More than 9,000 trainee doctors have handed in their resignations in protest of the government's plan to increase the medical school admissions quota by over 60%. But Seoul has shown no signs of backing down, issuing return to work orders and promising to take legal action for those who do not comply. To discuss the government's controversial plan and the medical community's controversial response for this week's weekly take, we have joining us via video call today two guests. First, we have a Philip Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hanguk University of Foreign Studies. Professor Kim, hello. Hello. And this week, to give us a doctor's perspective on the issue as well, we have joining us via video call Dr. Alice Tan, an internist at Ms. Medi Women's Hospital here in Seoul. Dr. Tan, uh, hello and thank you for your time today as well. Thank you for inviting me. So the government announced earlier this month that it would raise the quota of medical school emissions from 3,058 by an additional 2,000 by 2025. It would be a 65% uh, increase and the first increase in 19 years. The administration has argued that the nation needs more doctors due to the fast aging population, as well as to address the disparity in the availability of medical services in rural areas. The government has pointed out that the number of practicing physicians in the country compared to the population is far below other OECD countries. So, Professor uh, Kim, let me start with you. What's your take? on the government's plan? I think the plan is something that this Korean society needs absolutely, and uh, it's a necessary step. And uh, the fact that we have not seen so far for 19 years, as you mentioned, the increase of uh, medical students and supply of doctors itself uh, is a big problem. 
And uh, this is overall, of course, uh, more than anything, it's a question of uh, uh, medical services availability to the people. Uh, you know, we need more doctors everywhere in all different specialties and different uh, regional, you know, uh, different places around the country. Uh, there's no question about that. But even more important than that, the way I see it in the long run, uh, going over and beyond the, the medical issues, the social structure and uh, national human relations, uh, human resources policy, and so on, when we see the, how do we uh, put this, the, the top students graduating from high school, all of them, almost all of them go to try to apply for medical school and end up going to medical school. And after the top students go to the medical school, the rest of them actually uh, looking for different specialties of scientists, uh, technicians, technologists, uh, different kind of uh, you know uh, vocations. It's a serious uh, you know problem in terms of distribution of human resources for the country. So there is a great distortion, uh, market distortion. Uh, when we say the supply has not changed over the over the last nineteen years. Uh, that's a malfunction of the, the market system. And overall, uh, you know, we have seen a very serious problem with this. And then it's resulting in the, the, the deterioration and compromise of medical service provision. But not only that, but also income distribution and all that kind of stuff. So this is not just a uh, medical issue. This is an issue about how country manages its human resources and actually build for its future. When the best and the brightest go into just the medical service, what happens to uh, you know country's science, technology, management, policymaking? Uh, this is much more complicated and much more challenging issue than what we seem to see in just the, in the facade of the question of provision, supply, and demand of doctors for the patients. Dr. Tan, let me turn to you. What do you make of the government's plan to increase the med school emissions quota? Well, I'm glad that the government is paying attention to healthcare policy reform. I think it is long overdue. However, I disagree with some points that Professor Kim has made, and I disagree with some points of, of the policy in general. Um, in regards to the increase in the medical school admission quota, Specifically, we should note that this is only one part of a four-package policy, reform policy, that was released by the government earlier this month. Um, my issue is with the timing, with the magnitude, and the order uh, of some of these changes. In other words, you pointed out this is a 65% increase in the admitting class, admission class for medical school students. In other words, 50 more students per medical school throughout the country if we just average it out. Uh, this is a huge increase uh, in terms of one class. How many years can this go on sustainable? And then what when we have you know, too many doctors? Our population in South Korea is shrinking. There is no doubt about that. We are having fewer than 150,000 births per year. Some professors uh, 
especially at Seoul National University, Oh Jung Tae, I think, Kyosunim, he uh, specializes in studying populations and he predicts, um, I think, in the next 50 years or perhaps 100 years, the population of Korea may shrink to one half of what it is correct currently. So my question is, if the population is shrinking and for 19 years, the medical community has worked very hard to provide excellent quality medical care at a very affordable price. Yes, we have a problem now with uh, accessibility in the rural regions. Um, why do we have to make such a dramatic change uh, at this point? And why of all the different parts of the packages, why increasing the quota as the first major step? There were so many other parts of the quota of the policy, uh, the other packages that I thought, you know, looked very reasonable. Um, but for some reason, the government decided to go with the most controversial and uh, the most contentious um, uh, part of the of the policy first. And so I, I, I disagree. I think it's in terms of magnitude, it's it's too much. The timing is too soon. Uh, I agree that there is a problem in terms of uh, the health force, medical health force in the rural areas um, and the distribution in terms of doctors uh, not going into primary care and essential, essential medical fields. But I don't think this is the answer. We have a problem, but this is not the answer. May I respond? Of course. Professor Kim. Yeah. Uh, Professor uh Dr. Tan said uh, the magnitude is a problem. Well, magnitude is a problem because for the last at least 19 years, I, I heard different numbers before in terms of substantial increase, but basically the supply has been limited for the last 19 years. In order to fix it, we need large number in terms of rectification of the current situation. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying we have to stick with this specific number here, but we need large change. No question about that. And why all of a sudden all these things, uh, Dr. Tan uh, asked? Well, just let's look at the numbers. Uh, in terms of services, right? Service availability in different corners around the country. Dr. Tan agreed. Everybody agrees we need more doctors in different corners around the country. Uh, there's no question about it. What about the income of the doctors? They are talking about $200,000 uh, per year income, 200,000, 300,000 per, uh, you know, uh, dollars per year income for these doctors as average. And that is, we are being told by OECD that this income is much higher than 100,000 compared to 100,000 OECD average. Korean doctors are making 200,000, 300,000. What does this mean? There's absolute dysfunction of the market, demand and supply here. And doctors have been making creating what economists have been calling the rents. Rents have been created when supply demand is not working. And so doctors have cut off the supply uh, of their doctors, and then they were making lots more money than what's justified for. And as a country, as a whole, we have to change. We have to repair and we have to rectify this problem quickly. And the, the deterioration of the services quality in the future of course, we have to be mindful of such possibility and we have to constantly think about it. But the thing is, we have this very serious problem in front of us right at this point. 
shortage of the doctors and doctors making outrageous amount of income compared to other countries, which indicates major malfunction of the system. So we have to fix that problem while being mindful of such future challenges in the future. And let's talk about the deterioration of uh, you know, medical services. I don't know of any country saying, well, our country's doctors are stupid, dumb, and less educated than they should be, and therefore we are suffering from uh, medical service quality problems. Never heard that before. When you have more doctors, your people suffer because of a bad quality of medical service. I don't know of such cases. Hmm. So theoretically, it's a problem we should right. be mindful of. And I, I support the idea of being mindful of it. But right. I'm, not whether, I'm not really sure whether that problem is real. Dr. Tan, let me give you a chance to... Re- <clears throat> Dr. Tan, let me... Dr. Tan, let me give you a chance to respond before uh, we move on. Maybe you need a doctor for your throat. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in Seoul, it's very easy to go and get and find an ENT doctor or a dermatologist or a specialist. Uh, I think the problem is we need a, a demographic map of the entire country uh, in which we have the population mapped out, the male-female distribution, the distribution of women of childbearing age, uh, distribution of all the ages, that we need this map now. We need on top of that, we need physician density in all of the regions of the country. We need to know where the healthcare resources are located currently, what the transportation infrastructure is, uh, and the um, telemedicine infrastructure is in all of these different regions. Uh, we need this map for what the situation is currently, and then a predictive map in terms of what will happen over the next 10 years, over the next 20 years. Uh, there are certain regions where the physician density is problematic, uh, but there are other regions where we could say that mm. you know it's adequate, more than adequate. Uh, and so it is a distributive problem, not an absolute problem. And then in terms of physician pay, um, you know, th- this is, a, uh, I think, a valid point. I think society needs to come together and ask, you know, is it right to be paying more to get your hair cut than to be seeing a doctor? Because, you know, when you go in to see a doctor uh, for a, say, a repeat visit, the cost in South Korea is maybe um, out-of-pocket cost is 15,000 won, uh, which is... Which is about 12 US dollars. 15,000 Korean won, which is right, about 12 US dollars, which is much less than the price that I would pay to get my hair cut. So I, I do find um, the argument that uh, doctor's pay is too high, uh, a little bit um, distorted, uh, especially since we need to put into consideration um, when you're paying to see a physician, you're not just paying the physician, you're paying the hospital fees, the administrative fees, the nursing fees, all of these fees are included. And so, um, you know, we need to consider. I've, in my career as a doctor here in Korea, I've had Patients come from all over the world, and I've also traveled to different countries to see their healthcare systems up close. I've gone into hospitals and done tours. So I know what hospitals look like when they are underfunded, 
and when the doctor quality is poor. And I know that the doctor quality is poor because patients come to me, they have come to me, they've come to Korean hospitals from these other countries to get medical care because they were not well served in those other countries. So I would like to see that Korea remains in that position where we are in a position to help other countries with their medical care instead of uh, you know, going down in, in physician quality. Um, right. So the 2000, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it really is a, an outrageous number to say that we need right. to increase by 2000 all of a sudden. We do yeah. have to move. We do have to uh, move on to other topics as well. But uh, I do feel we have raised a lot of points. So perhaps we can uh, give each uh, other one more chance to respond. Uh, Dr. Kim, I feel you would wanted to say something. Yeah, uh, you know, Dr. Tan, uh, your points are very important. Uh, the thing is to further clarify that that point. We have to separate two related but separate issues here. Korea has succeeded dramatically in terms of managing its national health care system over the past several decades. Korea has set an example for the world, and we've been extremely successful in uh, you know, managing the medical care system here. And I have many medical doctor friends here, and they're unhappy with it because they want to get paid even more. All right? The thing is, Korean uh, patients, Korean people have been... Uh, happy and quite satisfied with well-managed national health care system. That's one, one issue here. And the other issue is doctors pay in comparison with other vocations, uh, national income distribution, uh, human resource supply question, where we see a real problem here. And I'm saying we got to fix this problem. If we don't fix this problem, we are going to actually ruin this success. If we cannot control doctors' pay and limit, cut off all the extra supply of doctors, we will eventually ruin national health care system here. So all the more, there's a reason, you know, that we have to work on doctor supply system in order to maintain the continuing success of national health care system. Otherwise, we are going to see problems that you know, problems we've seen in countries like United States, like skyrocketing medical cost. If we don't do anything about this doctor income going twice, three times higher than currently the average of OECD. And everybody, all young people, everybody wanting to become doctors, that's going to continue to greatly distort overall national development of science, technology, academia, you know, everything in the education system. Dr. Tan? Uh, I think we're in this position right now with the doctors on strike precisely because we've had um, um, many well-meaning policymakers, experts um, in sociology and uh, political science and healthcare policy um, in the discussion, but perhaps we need to include more physicians and physicians in the discussion. And I think it's time to go back to the drawing board because um, when you have an entire, um, you know, generation of young doctors who are unhappy with what is going on, I think this should send you a signal in terms of, uh, you know, they don't feel 
that their voice has been included. So um, I would like, what I would like to see is sort of going back to the drawing board. You know, we have the government proposal. There was a uh, town hall meeting um, uh, before the announcement of, of this policy. Um, but we need to go back to the drawing board. And yes, there are multiple stakeholders whose voices are very important. They all need to be taken into consideration. But when it comes to health care, taking care of the health of individual patients and the health of the nation, it's really the doctor who knows best. Uh, and uh, we need to get many different doctors' voices, um, their inputs in. And really, it's the doctors who are going to be providing the care. So um, you can try to force policies down the throats of doctors, but unless the doctors agree, um, it's not going to happen. Right. And the doctors right. know best what's best for the patients. Let us move on to uh, another side of this controversy, which is the medical community's response uh, to this issue at the moment. Uh, as we mentioned, over 9,000 trainee doctors have handed in their resignations. And this standoff, it seems to be going uh, nowhere at the moment. Uh, there has been criticism from some quarters that uh, the doctors are perhaps taking the most extreme option uh, at the moment. Uh, Dr. Tan, what do you make of such criticism? I find it very unfortunate that we're in this situation. Um, doctors don't want to go on strike. We want to be taking care of our patients. The needs of our patients have always come first, and they will always come first. Uh, but when we feel that there are policies that um, put the health care of, of our nation at risk um, that are not acceptable, and our voice isn't heard in, in a discussion setting, um, I think that's when they feel that they need to take action. It is not just doctors in training. Uh, it's medical school students who are concerned about their future. Um, they have, uh, they're talking right now about um, not coming to school, basically. And then, and then what will happen? Instead of having 2,000 more medical school students added to the incoming class, there could be zero zero medical school students because um, they may all go down a year uh, if they don't uh, have enough um, medical school uh, days of education. And so, um, it, you know, this is a very unfortunate situation, but I do feel that it can be solved through dialogue and negotiation. Um, and so we have, you know, one proposal, the government's proposal in place. I think Doctors also need to sort of consolidate what it is that we want, what we think is good for our country. We do recognize that there are problems. We recognize that we need to expand rural health care or at least provide um, for health care in rural regions where there are um, medically underserved populations. But I think in terms of coming to a, uh, a solution, it needs to be much more inclusive and in taking into account um, more physician voices. And of course, within the physician community, we have doctors who are at mm. university hospitals. We have doctors in community right. practice, private you know, practice. And so we need representation right. um, of all doctor communities. 
Professor Kim, what do you make of the current standoff uh, with the government uh, between the government and the uh, medical community? Yeah, I think Dr. Ten used the expression that I really like in responding to this question. That is, uh, young doctors unhappy and young doctors concerned. Okay, young doctors unhappy about what? About change. They're unhappy about this coming change. What does that mean? They're happy with the existing system. They're more than happy with the fact that they can make 200,000 US dollars per year, 300,000 per year, which is two, three times higher than OECD average. And actually, you know, in Korea, income distribution, if you make $100,000 per year, that's way above 10% of income bracket. And if you make 200,000, 300,000, you are just totally top income maker. And that's why everybody wants to go there. And doctors, young doctors are really happy with this system where they're creating, enjoying extreme amount of rent seeking here. And why rent seeking? Because the supply was cut off when the demand was rising. And this is a total man function of the entire system. And if they're concerned about this change, that's a, they're concerned about this correction. And they have to be concerned about it because this whole system has not been working at all. We got to fix it. And we have to act really quickly because this right. is a serious problem. So their unhappiness, their concern just reflects the nature of the problem. The medical doctors have been enjoying unreasonable amount of rent seeking in the malfunctioning system. And we have to fix it. Dr. Kim, we are out of time, so we are going to have to leave it there. But we appreciate both your very considered thoughts uh, on this topic today. We've been speaking to Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies and Dr. Alice Tan from Ms. Medi Women's Hospital. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank, Thank you. you very much. time now for our segment, Explore Korea, discovering cultural and travel highlights that the nation has to offer each week. And we do that with our contributors, or explorers as we like to call them. This week we have with us Yi Ji-an, who is a culture reporter for the Korea Juang Daily. She's back with us in the studio. Ji-an, hello. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Hi. Okay, so what do you have for us this week? So this week I'm back with some more theater, and today I would like to introduce to your listeners a musical titled The Last Five Years. It's playing inside one of the smaller theaters at the Central Seoul's Sejong Theater of the Performing Arts. The show, is origin- the show originally premiered in 2001 at Illinois, and then off-Broadway the following year. It actually never made it to Broadway, and while it isn't necessarily a widely known show, The Last Five Years has a solid fan base, with over five thousand L5Y hashtags on Instagram. It has also been turned into a movie starring Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan in 2014. And now this musical is being staged in Korea for the first time in 15 years and with some interesting directorial and stage tweaks that you'll be able to catch only in this particular production. Okay, that sounds interesting. So the last five years, it's an American musical then, but this has been adapted into Korean, right? Yes, that's true. Okay, so what is the musical about? What is the last five years about? 
The musical charts the five years of two young New Yorkers in love. They were both in their 20s, named Jamie and Kathy. So Jamie is a Jewish and a writer who achieved a career high very early in his life, while Kathy is a Catholic and an aspiring actor who, unlike Jamie, struggles to see the light in a professional life. I gather they don't work out then. Yes, they do not. And this isn't any kind of a spoiler, as the show opens with Kathy reading Jamie's breakup letter. The whole storytelling format is actually very interesting because those last five years are told in separate perspectives on stage. Mm. So there's Kathy's version, which is told actually backwards from their breakup to the first time they meet. And on the other hand, Jamie's version of the five years rolls forward in normal time. And because the characters are at different timeline, they never actually interact together on stage, except once when their opposite times intersect in the middle during their proposal and wedding. Wow, so that's quite a cool concept. Two timelines going in opposite directions, you're saying. And that's true for all productions of uh, the last five years, right? That is correct. And what makes this particular Korean production of the show unique, though, is the local director's call to keep both Kathy and Jamie on stage for the entire show, even though they don't actually meet. And typically in other productions, actors go on and off stage as the other one sings. The Korean director, Lee Ji-young, explained her decision during the show's press call last week, saying that she thought, in quotes, I interpreted that both Kathy and Jamie should be responsible for the five years of their time, and that she wanted to more directly portray the physical different speed and direction that they were each heading in the same relationship. I see. And that way you can literally see both uh, timelines at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I guess that makes... The exploration about time is interesting as well. I agree. And time is a very important concept in the story. For this couple, the time might as well have flown backwards because even if you put their stories together on a linear timeline, they are never actually on the same page emotionally. And this theme is further emphasized by the rotating stage, which is also unique to the Korean production. And all this goes to show uh, that people live and love at their own pace and I think it ultimately says that it is nobody's fault. Right. One more thing to clarify as well. It is just the two people on stage throughout the show, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very intimate show with just two people um, that runs for 90 minutes without intermission. And that is what makes this show very intense and voyeuristic in a way. Mm. The show's writer and composer and lyricist, uh, Jason Robert Brown, said in a 22... uh, Prince interview that this is actually a musical about two people, two hearts, two heartbreaks. And he goes on to say that I wanted to relay the intensity of that, the smallness and the hugeness of that. And if I tried to tell this story with any more people, it would not have the same impact, he says. Mm. And so from that quote, you can grasp how emotionally charged the show actually is. Indeed, but two actors on stage the whole time. It sounds like it'd be quite taxing for the performers as well, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, exhilarating, I guess, for the audience to see. And overall, this sounds like a very innovative and daring production. Uh, You mentioned earlier that the show has a strong fan base. Why do you think that is? Yeah, the show has the musical's fans' hearts with its very subtle and beautiful music written Mm. by Jason Robert Brown, who also wrote the show's book and lyrics, as I mentioned before. Mm. The whole show is sung through, by the way, and the Korean production is backed by a live six-piece band behind the stage. 
Mm. And also, I think after the breakup, we tend to oftentimes wonder where what went wrong and what the other person was thinking during that relationship. And we crave to know why couples break up or why marriages end up in divorces. And this musical offers almost a surgical examination into these doomed relationships. Uh, Brown to the Washington Post in 2005 describes it as an inherent intimacy, saying that it is not a theatrical intimacy, but an emotional intimacy that is very rare in musicals or even plays. It's a piece that gets very close to the audience, he says. Yes, it reminds me of the film Marriage Story uh, Mm. from a few years back as well. Mm. That exploration of relationships, where it might have gone wrong, where uh, it could have... um, it turned out better as well but obviously this is a musical and it's exploring this uh, really unique way the story in a unique way with the uh, crossing timelines and at the same time it sounds like it's touching upon very uh, real emotions which is uh, what I guess a lot of people have related to Yeah, it definitely gets the conversation flowing among audiences, I think. Mm. And it has had over 200 productions across the United States and has been translated into different languages, including Dutch, Japanese, German, Italian, and obviously Korean as well. And it's a very universal yet personal story, like you mentioned before. It's a specific story about two people who fall in and out of love, but it rings true for audiences as well as it compels them to draw parallels with their own life. And what you said about this being a very real story is actually correct. Mm. The last five years is said to have been heavily inspired by Jason Robert Brown's first marriage with a woman named Teresa O'Neill. Now, uh, though Brown himself avoids the word autobiographical, he has publicly said that the show is personal to him. Yes, a very personal passion project it seems like you said he's the writer and composer of the show as well Mm -hmm, yes so he's an american composer and a lyricist best known for composing the score of the musical the bridges of the madison county for which he has received two tony awards best score and best orchestration he's also the conductor arranger orchestrator director and performer and has worked on numerous musicals as well He actually recently added another Tony Award through his score for the show Parade, which won the 2023 Tony Awards uh, Best Revival of the Musical. Right. As personal as the uh, musical is, I understand that there was some controversy as well, though, because his ex-wife, who he's based the story around, was not okay with him creating this musical about their relationship, right? She was not okay at all. Um, The show was supposed to have its New York premiere at the Lincoln Center Theater in 22, but was canceled. The word in the theater community at the time was that there was a threat of a lawsuit by his ex-wife O'Neill. And Brown sued O'Neill for that, for interfering with the last five years, and she countersued Brown. The two settled after Brown agreed to eliminate any similarities between Kathy and O'Neill. The Kathy character subsequently went underwent some changes. Most notably, all mentions of her Irish heritage were erased. Uh, O'Neill was actually Irish Catholic. Mm. And also all references to Kathy as Angel, which was Brown's nickname for O'Neill, were eliminated as well. Well, that does sound rather contentious and painful. Uh, And Despite those contentious beginnings, though, it has developed into this uh, fan favourite, as you said, whether it's uh, Illinois or here in Seoul. And I dare say this uh, new local production sounds like it will create some new fans as well, especially with its uh, innovative staging. Mm -hmm. Once again, it's called The Last Five Years, playing at the Sejong Centre of the Performing Arts until April 7th. 
Uh, that's all for our Explore career this week. Jian, thank you for that. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. That's all for our show today. Now, tomorrow, we're taking our regular monthly break. And instead, we'll be airing a rerun of a past special from 2019 called Dilkusha and the Chain of Amber, a special for the centennial of the March 1st movement. So we hope you tune in for that. In the meantime, we'll be back with our usual show on Monday. Till then, we hope you have a great week. I've been your host, Wan Jiangwa, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Back to heaven by Chun Sangbyung. 나 하늘로 돌아가리라. 새벽빛와 닿으면 쓰러지는 이슬 더불어 손에 손을 잡고. I'll go back to heaven again. Hand in hand with the dew that melts at a touch of the dawning day. 나 하늘로 돌아가리라. 노을빛 함께 단 둘이서 기슭에서 놀다가 구름 손짓하면은. I'll go back to heaven again with the dusk together, just we two. It is sign from a cloud after playing on the slopes. 나 하늘로 돌아가리라. 아름다운 이 세상 소풍 끝내는 날 가서 아름다웠더라고 말하리라. I'll go back to heaven again at the end of my outing to this beautiful world. I'll go back and say that was beautiful. You've listened to Korean poet Chun Sang-byung's Gui Chan, Back to Heaven, read by An Jae-woo and translated by Brother Anthony of Tae's An Sun Jae. KBS World Radio brings the beauty of Korean poetry to the world. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You ready? Let's go. KBS World Radio.